Today's episode of Transform Your Workplace is brought to you by Zenium HR. Learn more about Zenium's complete HR plus payroll solution at zeniumhr.com. Today, I'm joined by David Rizzo. David is the principal of talent strategy and operations at Deloitte US. And we take a deep dive into talent retention and development strategies. In this episode in particular, we're talking about the Deloitte Global 2022 Gen Z and Millennial Survey. And so we're learning what makes Gen Z and Millennials tick and how we can retain top talent from these generations and what it means to develop their capabilities so that we can make an impact far greater than we've made in the here and the now. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. What's great is I interviewed David from Deloitte and then in a few episodes, I interviewed his colleague, Art Mazur, and we talked about the Human Capital Trends Report from Deloitte. So a lot of good stuff from Deloitte coming out. So hope you enjoy. If you're liking the show, make sure to hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen, we're everywhere. And uh, we're starting to put out some video too. So make sure to go check out YouTube if you want a YouTube version of the podcast and make sure to connect with me on LinkedIn and Instagram. Those are the places I frequent the most in social media. So would love a connection and love to hear how you're liking the show too. Enjoy today's episode and we'll talk to you next week. Hey, David, it's a pleasure to have you on Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for coming on the show. Brandon, thank you so much. It's the first opportunity for us to speak together, and I'm really looking forward to it. Well, you lead talent strategy and operations at Deloitte, so I'm excited to dive into everything that you're doing from a talent development standpoint. Uh, but first, I wanted to talk about Deloitte and the survey that you conduct every year amongst Gen Z and the millennial population, which is a huge group. And I think that it's great that you guys are asking them what they want out of the workplace and an employer. What are a few of the high-level themes that you uncovered at Deloitte about this population? Yeah, sure. You know, it's it's a survey we've been doing now for more than 10 years, annually for more than 10 years. So it's exciting actually to go back longitudinally and look at how responses change over time. So this year's survey in 2022, a few themes really jumped out, both for Gen Z and for millennials. Uh, first was concerns around cost of living. So this is a population that is pretty sensitive to changes in inflation, cost of living. Um, and so they have concerns about kind of living paycheck to paycheck and how inflation will impact them and their daily lives. That shows up in the way uh, they experience work and their relationship with their employer. Very interested in climate change and the impact climate has on society, but also on their organizations and thoughtful about how they can contribute both inside and outside of work to climate solutions. Not surprisingly, the pandemic has made them more conscious about health, physical health, mental health, well-being. So that shows up as a concern. And then also, as they see economic headwinds emerging, more concern about job security and, and in particular employment, employability, unemployment. So those were all themes that came through uh, pretty clearly in this most recent survey. 
Do you think this group is, and this probably the data is in the survey, I'm sure, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on it, but are they generally optimistic about the future? Or are they feeling stuck? You know, I think that there are certainly uh, themes of optimism in there, probably balanced by some pretty profound concerns. So um, if you think about things that they've experienced, you could understand that whether it's been, you know, kind of entering or having your formative years at work be during a pandemic or, you know, what we have seen and what they have learned about um, what they would view as a climate crisis. Those are things that have certainly shaped both a sense of optimism that change is possible, but also some deep-seated concerns about what the future may hold for them. So I think you see some of both in, in the responses. You'd mentioned the pandemic. I'm curious if you think that the pandemic and just the, the current weird market environment, the business environment, whatever you want to call it, I mean, society in general, if this environment has led to these generations really rethinking their priorities? You know, that that's certainly been a theme that uh, we've read about, we've researched, and Deloitte's a large organization. We've seen this in our own talent and our own professionals that uh, they are very ambitious, they're very driven, and they also want to know that the work they're doing is making an impact, an impact that's important to them. And so they do reflect on what is that impact that I'm making? Am I making that impact here You know, with my organization? Am I having the skills and capabilities that are portable? So if I wanted to make an impact somewhere else, I have the ability to do that. I think they're very conscious of those kinds of considerations. You'd mentioned that finances were a top concern for these groups, the Gen Z and millennials. There's only so much you could do from a compensation or at least control it. You know, employers only have so much money to go around. And so if you're relying on just a raise alone, you might be waiting a long time and you might continue to live paycheck to paycheck. Whereas I believe that if you up-level your skills and you continue to, to try to career path, that's something under your control as a you know Gen Z or millennial. Do you see millennials and Gen Z taking initiative as far as their career development goes, like upskilling and things like that? You know, we do. And I think there's a couple of things that you've hit on um, that I would acknowledge. One is this concept of reliance. So if you're in an environment like I described, it must be unsettling as a professional to be reliant on one employer for your future, for your success. If you're worried about inflation, if you're worried about employment, if you're worried about your own health and well-being. And so what can you do? One of the things that you can do, one of the things your employer can do is invest in you, in your growth and development, and in particular, invest in the kinds of capabilities that have a strong probability of being needed in the future and invest in capabilities that have a level of portability. So sure, they're beneficial to your employer, but they're also visible, transparent, you know, into the marketplace and there, and you can take them with you and help kind of monetize your own capabilities so that you feel more secure in uh, what you have to offer to the market at large. And I, I don't think employers should be fearful of that. I think they should embrace that both as an opportunity to attract talent, um, to retain talent and also see that talent can go on and develop in this organization or in another organization. What's that meme that's always floating around on LinkedIn? That's like, what happens if you train the people and they leave? And then it's like the other side of it's like, what if you 
train them and they don't leave. <laughs> like yeah. when you, I mean, I'm sure you've seen that. Like what, what's your thoughts on that? Like, I'm sure it's an attraction tool and a retention tool, like to, to actually like train and develop and career path people. It sure is. I mean, we think a lot about why people choose to join us, why they choose to stay with us, why they choose to talk about us to family members, to friends, to others. We talk a lot about preference. It's not just about experience. And in my world, it's about why are people choosing to be part of your organization? And we know some things about our workforce that really excites us. One thing is that at least the workforce that we have, the talent we have, they're curious. They come to us because they believe they have an opportunity to explore a lot of different things and learn from that exploration. And we want to embrace that and and give them those opportunities. Uh, They come to us because they're going to work hard. They know they're going to work hard, but they're going to be recognized for that and they're going to be valued for it. Uh, they come to us because they um, aspire for a collegial environment. And so we're very sensitive about, is this environment we're creating tapping into that preference that they have for sort of a team-based approach to work? And uh, they come to us because they believe we're a values-driven organization. And so how do we show up on a day-to-day basis? Your interface with your team leader, the decisions that are made in your organization, how do they reflect that values-based environment that they preferred and they were drawn to. So that concept of preference shows up a lot in the environment that we try to create. And we certainly amplify that through our learning and development efforts. Since you lead talent strategy at Deloitte, I'm curious, I mean, you have a ton of employees. How many employees do you have? About in the, so our U.S. firm is about 173,000. So that's incredible to lead talent strategy for such a, a well-known and respected organization. That's got to be a lot of work. Where are you coming from as far as a talent strategy and where are you, where are you going? Yeah. So our talent strategy is really driven by, I think, three, three really important considerations for us. Number one is we have to have a real clear understanding of the work we're doing. And that sounds very basic on its face, but it's really important as an organization, and we're not unique here, we're entering new markets and we're doing different types of work for our clients and for our customers. And that creates a need for different types of capabilities. And as an organization, we need to be on the forefront of that. We need to be leading that. We can't be lagging the business in our workforce strategy and our talent strategy. So we really need to understand the markets we're going to be competing in in the future. That's number one. Number two is the way we perform our work is evolving rapidly. We've been doing statutory audits for more than 100 years. We've transformed that part of our business more in the last five years than the prior 95 years. And so from a workforce strategy perspective, you really have to understand how you're transforming the way you're delivering work. And then the third is really being tapped into workforce and societal expectations. Think about how much workforce expectations and societal expectations have evolved just in the past few years. Again, really having your feelers out so you're understanding those shifts. So those three components, we focus on a lot and we really have those drive into that workforce strategy. So many questions come to mind right now. One of the things that I thought you said that was interesting was, you know, over the over the past like 
what would you say 95 years nothing it hasn't really changed but then all of a sudden there's like a demand for for change in the talent space what's driving that is it is it the needs of people is it just that the business environment's rapidly evolving because of technology like it's probably all those things but what do you think well so in that particular case you're you're right i mean it is a digital transformation of the performance of the audit and it opens up incredible opportunities to increase quality to increase productivity, but really importantly for our people to improve the experience they have, to do more meaningful and rewarding work and to build new capabilities. And so we really wanna be in the position to seize on that. And that's just one example. There are examples that proliferate across our business. And so being able to tap into each of those and bring that into our workforce strategy is, is really important. I mean, with this talent strategy that you you talked about, it's not only probably just to develop the people that you have within it and meet the needs of your clients and, and just do the work that's in front of you, but it's probably to attract people. Do you find that employees are, they are desiring this out of an employer? Absolutely. I think it's an expectation both from our clients, from our customers, from from our talent and from society that um, we are not just an employer, but we're a developer. We grow talent in part because some of the capabilities we create are the most in-demand capabilities in the marketplace. And so we have to be an organization that's growing talent. We simply can't go out into the market and acquire all of the talent with the capabilities we need but it also creates a meaningful societal benefit. Um, Again, we come back to this point that we're creating capabilities that are in demand and portable, and that has real benefit for the communities in which we live and work. So those things are really important to us. It gets into why we choose to make such a substantive investment uh, in our talents. Um, You know, whether the economy, frankly, is is strong or whether there are headwinds, it's it's still an area that we choose to prioritize for investment. Mm -hmm. In a second, I want to get into Project 120, which is uh, this investment that you're talking about within Deloitte. But I'm curious how you got there in the first place. You'd mentioned that, like, you look at the work in front of you and what capabilities you need. I mean, is it as simple as like seeing what kind of work you have Uh, with your clients and what sort of competencies and capabilities that are needed out of the talent? Like how simple is it or is how complicated is it, should I say? Well, it, it, it clearly is driven by this premise that we need to be not just an employer, but a grower, a developer of talent. That that's number one. Number two. And I mean, so many different studies and surveys show that talent is attracted to employers who create this uplift in their own opportunity So this idea that if they come and work for us, they're going to be exposed to opportunities they wouldn't get somewhere somewhere else. We're going to put them uh, on a team with team members who they're going to learn from that we're going to build through uh, virtual learning, through bricks and mortar classroom learning. They're going to get uh, the kind of development opportunities there that are pretty unique. So it's that combination of responding to the market needs, but also just an incredibly attractive uh, characteristic of of who we are. So it's really putting those two things together. You know, lots and lots of organizations do that. So the question for us is, how do we do that better? Uh, And that's a challenge that we've given to ourselves in part through Project 120. 
I'm curious what the main driver is behind all this. Is it is it the work from the clients? Is it we started by talking about the Gen Z and millennials? Are their needs driving this? Maybe it's something else altogether. I'm I'm curious why. Yeah, come back to the three points to us. Number one is it, it is absolutely the work we do. Um, you know, so for example. Certainly many people think of Deloitte and think of statutory auditing or they think of tax work, but we also do a tremendous amount of work creating engineering, really truly engineering cloud-based assets for clients and customers. We do a tremendous amount of work in the cyber risk space. Um, We do a tremendous amount of work in analytics and, and artificial intelligence. And so this idea that we are in different markets drives. That's the first driver of where we're choosing to focus. The second, as I talked about before, is this transformation of the work itself. So it's not just what we do, but it's transforming how we do the work. That's a big driver. And then the third, as I mentioned, is the workforce and societal expectations and being on the leading edge of of those. So we really try to bring all three of those together as really the focus for, for Project 120. Yeah. Let's talk about Project 120. So I'd read that. I think it's a $1.4 billion investment. That's a huge chunk of money to to invest in in talent. For one, what's behind the name and then why that level of investment? Yeah. So Project 120 is a representation of um, the speed at which thought moves through the human mind. So 120 meters per second. And so why did we choose that? Well, it's just an interesting Uh, framing. But, you know, what it also represents, I think, is speed and change. And that's something that we're really trying to embrace. So it's not just a thought-provoking sort of framing, but it also represents the speed and change, uh, the pace of change that we see in our environment. And what it represents really, and you reference the dollar value, but what is sort of invested within those dollars, it's, it's really an overarching umbrella for investments we're making in um, the digital you know, environment. So um, virtual classrooms, uh, I can talk more about adaptive learning and adaptive curriculums. It's also brick and mortar investments, which we continue to think are very important. So a physical location like Deloitte University uh, or our regional learning hubs, it really represents an array of investments that we're making to try and build both core technical capabilities, technology capabilities, leading edge technology capabilities, and leadership capabilities. So there's a, it's a, it's a pretty broad umbrella. So you've got the, the digital side to it. So I imagine some sort of platform that people log into and they can go through courses and watch videos and, and all sorts of things. And then you have physical university. Absolutely. And, and the digital piece, I think the digital piece, what's interesting to us about this, one, one element of it is the adaptive nature. So rather than saying, okay, you have this role, so by default, here's this standard curriculum you're going to get, we really try to build an adaptive curriculum around the individual. Um, so understanding the experiences they already have, the capabilities they have, anticipating the capabilities they need, and really building a curriculum around that individual. Um, the other thing that's interesting to us from a digital standpoint is not just virtual classroom, but really looking at learning in the flow of work. And so we have more and more examples where people are actually performing their work and then doing micro learning right in the flow of their work. 
uh, which we think is you know, a wonderful opportunity to improve their experience, improve their productivity, uh, create more value. And then from the physical side, big investment in our Deloitte University. It's, it's been a wonderful place, not only to produce learning, but to really cement a cultural experience. And we've found that to be incredibly important. Um, it's not just what you do, but it's the way in which you do it. And one of the ways we reinforce that is to bring people together physically. And Deloitte University is a great platform for us to do that. I'm sure part of this investment is the change management around launching something as big as this. I mean, training managers and leaders probably how to roll this out to their employees, or are you just trying to focus it in a, in a centralized way? Like this project 120 is rolled out from the team project 120 team or the platform and, and it's sort of a self serve project or, or are you rolling it out through the leaders and the managers? Yeah, we're coming at it probably no surprise from almost every angle. So yes, I mean, in certain roles, we would say, Hey, here's a curriculum you should explore and find how you can shape that to meet your own needs. In other cases, we're gathering data to sense needs we may have that we may not have met already, and to really rapidly build, whether it's a curriculum or an experience that's going to match that. So we have some examples where we've done sensing and data gathering and identified unmet learning needs and been able to very rapidly respond to those um, with uh, learning experiences that have been responsive. So, you know, it's both, I guess you would say, a top-down and a bottoms-up approach to it. Right. What's different about what Deloitte's done in the past from learning and development versus when, is it, is it launched yet? It, it is, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what's different about those two worlds that you've lived in? Or even if you want to look at like how other employers are going about their learning and development and then how this differs greatly from it. I'm just curious what the differences are. Uh, a few things I would call out a few examples um, for the technology learning. One of the things that we've been focusing on is anticipating future capabilities and building curriculums around that um, rather than responding to technical gaps that have been identified based on work that's already been done. So one element of it is that forward-looking anticipatory nature to what we create and really co-create with our professionals. Um, a second aspect of the kind of um, technology learning is what I refer to as that personalization. So the adaptive learning pathways, I think, is something that we've really embraced um, and is important to us. If you look on the leadership side, you, one of the things that we recognize is a lot of the focus of the leadership capabilities, and, and this is leaders at every level, but a lot of the focus on it was, okay, these leader capabilities produced a better business outcome. It was just leader capability to business outcome. What we've tried to do is, is say, well, let's stop and talk about building better humans, building better people first, and really embracing the person completely. Um, so you know, help that person create opportunities for that person to be a better human in their mind, um, in the way they interface with their teams and their clients. And the outcome of that is going to be a better business outcome. But let's focus on um, building a better person first and putting people in the driver's seat to find the right ways to do that. So those are a few examples of, of sort of the kinds of changes we've been focused on. You mentioned personalization. Are you 
personalizing their learning and development based on the role they have now or even future anticipated roles? Like I have the desire to be here in 10 years. Like what are are we building skills now for 10 years down the road? What are we doing? Well, so yeah, Brandon, it's a great point. So if you remember earlier on, I said, you know, we really think about preferences. Why are people choosing to be here? And I referenced this idea that people are choosing to come to us because they're curious. They believe they're going to have opportunities to get experiences they wouldn't have gotten anywhere else. Well, that has to flow through to Project 120. So absolutely, one of the opportunities is to be able to explore the kind of learning. And it's not just digital or physical classroom learning. It's also learning plus experiences. How do you put those things together so that you're in a position to have the kind of role that you want in the future? So that is, you know, really one of the things that we emphasize is giving the opportunity for the individual to go and explore and pursue what they're passionate about to open up additional doors for themselves. Are you worried about adoption or anything like that? Not really. I mean, if you think about, you know, the curiosity that our talent has, the energy that they have, the drive that they have, it's really about providing enough opportunity for them to... You know, so really the concern about adoption is, is, is not a big one. It's about creating an environment that really reflects uh, all the interests and passions mm-hmm. of our people. I love that. What, what outcomes do you expect? If you look back, you know, five years from now, you know, and you're looking at either giving yourself advice or, or looking at it from like, yeah, we reached our goal. Like, what are some of those outcomes you're hoping for? Absolutely. So one of the things that we are very cognizant of is being able to draw in a broader, more diverse, more heterogeneous workforce. So uh, if you think about uh, the workforce that we have, for example, historically, a lot of the roles, I mean, a, a great majority of the roles have required a four-year degree. And like many organizations, we're challenging that and saying, are there experiences, are there capabilities that fit with um, roles and opportunities we have that don't require a four-year degree? And then how do we supplement uh, additional development? So one of the things, Brandon, that's really important to us is being able to cast a broader net, being able to um, make ourselves available to a broader array of the population which would include, you know, individuals from economic or social backgrounds that haven't historically had those kinds of opportunities. So that's one of the gauges of our success. Another gauge of our success is through a sort of business-minded lens is having sufficient talent to support what we would call hyper-growth parts of our business, which are often in the cutting edge areas of of capabilities. So cyber is an example, Um, AI is an example, where our success is having capable talent sufficient to fuel the growth of our business, which often is growing in strong double digit percentages annually. Um, Another thing that we look at is, I talked about preference. We do a lot of work to then actually measure experience. Are we walking the talk? So um, we look at, you know, are our people getting the experience they chose to come here for? And learning and development is a big component of that. So those are just a handful of examples I would give. I love it. David, this has been a really fun conversation. I, I'm 
thank you for letting me pepper you with questions about this project and, and just uh, bring it back full circle to like, you know, what are Gen Z and millennial people wanting? They want, you know, they want a career, they, they want security, they want more money, like all those things. And I think what you're doing is probably going to attract a lot of that group who's going to fuel the, the growth of your business. So well done. What, you know, what do you want to leave people with? Or did I miss anything that I, I should have asked you anything like that? No, Brandon, I thought it was a great wide ranging conversation connecting a lot of the dots. And I would just encourage people to, to explore more about Project 120. I mean, you can easily search for it and find information. It's publicly available. Uh, and we're always uh, open to answer more questions about it. Our experience is not unique, but we're excited about the approach we're taking. My guest today has been David Rizzo. Thanks for being part of the podcast. Appreciate you. Thanks, Brandon. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the guest's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws. The material and information presented on Transform Your Workplace is for general information and educational purposes only. Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws, does not necessarily endorse any guest, their business, or any organization they represent. Discretion is advised. Please work with a trusted advisor to find a custom approach that fits your organization's needs.